Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey guys, just want to let you know this is a clip from my YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash crimson60620. Check it out. If you want to see some of my other videos... If you want to see some of my art as I'm doing it, or if you want to actually just get more of me, thank you. You know, that's that's kind of like, okay, what the heck do you do when somebody's just hanging at your table forever? You don't know that until you actually, I don't know, ask people about it. Well, you do what they do in um, GameStop and you um, let them stay. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> oh. GameStop. I've been hearing so many stories about GameStop. I uh, I follow a Camelot three three one. I love hearing his stuff with the uh, the GameStop stuff and the Amazon and everything. Like holy shit! I, I follow him along myself, and it's it's just fucking amazing. It's one of those things where it's just like I've worked retails before, mm. and that was. That was some crazy shit, and like I'm in a call center now, so I get to work from home. But oh, um, that's nice. The thing about it is, call center work is not too much different from retail. Um, mm. People dehumanize you there as well. Yeah, so. that's shitty. Yeah, I used to uh, work nights at Walmart, and it's—I mean, to this day, I consider it the absolute worst job I've ever had. Like, I've worked as a pizza delivery driver. I've worked at a, you know, distribution center. Like, I've worked at FedEx and Macy's Distribution. And I've worked as a game tester. But I'd say, by far, Walmart was the absolute worst of the worst with that. Like, holy... Like, it poisoned me from ever going to any Walmart ever again. I will never go to Walmart for as long as I live because of that. Because... Like, I see I, you're going to be going to Target. Oh yeah, like <laughs> I'm. I I now just go to Target and Jewel these days, and <laughs> I I'm just done with Walmart. I mean, I still go to Sam's Club because there's no Costco's in my area, but I hear like there's gonna be one built like closer to the uh, the mall in my area, so that's gonna be pretty great. But I don't now, know if I have a membership. I want to say this, and like um, we around the Chicago land area. Now I'm back in Chicago, and did you want to drop where the area? You don't have to drop address and shit like that, but um, the area that you're in. Oh, I live out in Joliet. So if you're Blues Brothers fan, you know, I live out there. And um, one of the things with the local comic and art and anime scenes that like our areas do have a lot of great things um i know i was supposed to go to anime anime midwest this year but um i saw you went to comic tropolis last year yes so that's in uh lockport Mm -hmm. and that's around let's say five minutes away from the main joliet city 
And, you know, it's a smaller library convention. It's it's mostly, I'd say it's more of a community thing than a real big convention. But it's well run that, you know, I dig it. I like coming there. I, I have a personal, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit biased towards libraries. Like I prefer libraries in general. I, I'm kind of the guy who really will push to go to a library as much as you can. Like, I'm, I, I love libraries. I work at libraries. I do a bunch of freelance artwork at libraries. I love stumbling upon, stumbling across books at libraries. So that's pretty much, you know. So Comic Comicopolis, I believe last year was the first ever time I've tabled at Comicopolis. But the year before that, I actually attended Comicopolis because it was like, 20 minutes away from where I lived. So, you know, I stopped by and there are actually a few of my friends who was tabling at Comicopolis. Uh, uh, Brian D. Man, I can't pronounce his last name, but uh, yeah, yeah, he makes uh, Soul Chaser Betty. Yeah. And, um, you know, we chat a lot with him. Actually, uh, let's see. Actually, I, he's the reason why I started going to conventions. Because I was in oh, really? 2018, I went to the last day of the 2018 Anime Midwest, and I was carrying around my own art and shit like that. And I bought one of his um, books, um, "Girls Gone Savage." And, oh yeah, that's the uh, Barbarian book. Yeah. Yes, yes, and like that's also somebody I've been running into since I've you know started doing the scene, um, and like he was like, "Why?" Like just draw the shit. Like, just draw what you want to draw. And I was like, okay, cool. And it's been one of those things where it's just like, if you go to enough local conventions, you run into some of the same great people. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, did you go? Did Did you go to the Maple or the Madison area public library one? I don't think so. No, I didn't get any information. Um, are you attending the Hammond one this year? I know that's one we were in together. Oh yeah, the Hammond one. Yeah, uh, it's a live. It's an online one. Yeah, actually, it's an online con right now. But yeah, I'm uh, gonna be, I believe, doing a live stream or something where I'm just gonna explain how you make mini comics mm-hmm. and you know just you know just do a nice fast tutorial about you know folding up a little mini zine and just going through these super fast rudimentary steps of just basic storytelling because most of my storytelling knowledge is you know from Gabe just talking to him about how the fuck do I make a story it's like hey do Journey June and you'll figure it out easy and I'm like yeah I finished it but I'm still confused <laughs> that's kind of weird it's it's uh, Pizza Man actually did give me a good idea for you know, potential ongoing series. So I do like that. So let me ask this. Do you do the drawings or do you try to parse out the story first? Uh, currently, I've been parsing out the story and the script. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I follow, uh, at the moment, I'm following this, uh, Yeah, you know about Dan Harmon's story circle, right? Where he frequently talks about, uh, you know, the general story circle that most stories go through, like, you know, the hero's journey and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But yeah, uh, I've mostly been trying to morph 
a general plot towards that direction at the moment. So, so far it's, it's interesting because I'm able to get down outlines, mm-hmm. but now the new challenge is just the more nuanced stuff, like figuring out dialogue, like actually making distinct voices is now my new writing challenge. And I've, I've heard that about actually having to make the voices of the character in your head before you like come up with like their specific dialogue. Oh yeah, definitely. Now, just while we're just taking a look at your stream at, at your drawing. So what do you do? The, um, normal, what do you do? The, um, sketch drawing first and then you bring it to the computer. Uh, well for this one, yes. Cause, uh, you know, I'm, yeah, these sketches specifically, these were, I was drawing in my kitchen because I had the line ideas for a while. Because uh, initially I had a, uh, let me just show the other side. Let me just drop the sub view with this. Because let's see, let me just pop it over here. All right, sub view. So I drew this a while ago because I was pretty much in that world building phase of my personal comic, well, now turned game. And these were the rulers of the big cat kingdom. Like, you know, every freaking cat in one kingdom because they're cats and they're dicks like that. And so, you know, lion and lion queen or king and queen of the lion kingdom. And I kind of just wanted to make a wacky dynamic where you know the queen is the competent do everything i have to do everything while you sit on your lazy ass and do absolutely nothing (laughs) so i think there would be some really funny interactions going on with that and then you know slowly and steadily i'm kind of just building up and figuring out okay what is this world going to be about and funnily enough that sketch this is a digital sketch. This uh, this sketch is all digital. Like mm-hmm. I use my tablet for this sketch, but these sketches, these sketches were these sketches are pencil sketches. Like I drew it on paper, then scanned it, then you know put them together. Like it's not actually wide like that. Um, this one too. This one, these are just initially pencil sketches, and you know I refined them a little more. Actually, I did do a little bit of digital doctoring, but you probably can't tell because you know, I really like some of the brushes. There are a few really good digital brushes. So but, what are you using? Clip Art Studio? So yeah, I'm uh, currently using a program called Clip Studio Paint. And I personally think it's better than Photoshop. Like, holy shit, it's better than Photoshop. It's cheaper than Photoshop. There's way more functions than Photoshop. And especially for me, it's built for making comics a lot better than Photoshop. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some things that are kind of, I'd say nitpicky. Like, um, ironically, it can't do lettering that well. Like I still would go to Illustrator if I'm doing lettering, but excuse me, so sorry. But in terms of like, making panels, organizing your files so that they're ready to export into pages. And, well, generally, I like how it handles its brush settings and things like that. Like, this is the most 
comfortable I've ever been working digitally ever, like in the 10 years I've ever drawn and in the, I'd say, no, in the 10 years I've ever drawn digitally, like I've been drawing in general for, I guess, all my life. But in terms of drawing digitally, I've only been doing it for, I'd say 10 years, probably like 14 years if you count college, but yeah. Um, maybe having a like Cintiq screen tablet helps a lot too, because I only got my Cintiq last year. So I've been rocking this and you know, it's been actually pretty good with uh, the Cintiq and Clipsio paint in general was just, it's really good. I'm also using brushes I purchased called uh, Frendin brushes. They're from an artist called Frendin, so I just refer to them as the uh, Frendin brushes. And let me just drop a link to for everyone to kind of just buy the brushes and kind of just shill for everyone <laughs> here. Now, see, I will say this. I actually am using mostly traditional because I have very little commission, so I have to use traditional. And drop the link oh, that's in, totally fine. in the, the, the Zoom chat so I can actually put it on mine as well. Totally. So, yeah, I'm going to drop it here. Yeah, I actually need to, like, make a blog post and, you know, a blog post on my personal website to kind of just say, oh, hey, here's where all – here's pretty much all of my – all the tools that I'm currently using right now. That's what I'm using. Ah, Mouse says uh, Flyland brushes are good too. Okay. I'll give that a look. Flyland brushes. So I'll probably just look that up too. Flyland brushes. Flyland brushes. What I actually use, I use traditional. I've, But I've gone the way of mostly doing um, acetone markers. And I, uh, like, are those Copics or is, are those slightly different? Oh, oh, oh no, I use the Walmart, the not Walmart, the Michaels brand Artisloft. They ah, have okay. a brand that they're that they're dis, that they discontinued, which are really fucking good. Mm. Unfortunately, it's very very hard to find because originally they were about two hundred dollars. They were like Copic prices, but. No one bought them. Oh and shit! So the ones that were originally like fifty bot fifty bucks, I'm getting them for I want to say twenty. Hmm. Well, I uh, I bought my Copics piecemeal because I started buying. I started by uh, buying five Copic gray markers at uh, on Amazon, mm-hmm. and then I slowly and steadily started just building my colors all piecemeal. And slowly and steadily, I just built up, I'd say, a collection of, I haven't counted them all, actually, but I'm going to assume it's probably 20 or so markers, because I got five neutral grays, Mm -hmm. five warm grays, five cool grays, and I believe, I think another 10 colored ones, like full colored ones, and then I built up an assortment of actual 
<laughs> actual like select colors and stuff like that. Hey, King Sus, how's it going? Yeah, I'm just chatting a little, so don't mind me. But yeah, uh, you know, with Copix, it's interesting because I do like uh, that I can refill them. That's probably my number one favorite thing about Copix is that I can just refill them whenever I want. But the thing is, you got to really take care of them because they can dry out easily. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they're alcohol markers, so, you know, they can go out pretty easy. Um, I haven't used, I've used uh, Prisma colored markers actually before. Like, uh, my art school gave them out by default for like an absorbently expensive price because my school was a for profit hellhole. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't think we were gonna start talking about politics this early in this in, the, in this early in the stream. <laughs> <laughs> I think in general, I think it's more of a just me griping about college in general. I'd say, but yeah, uh, the other art supplies, it's mainly. Uh, yeah, I mean, I still work traditionally whenever I'm away from my tablet or I'm traveling, and. What I'm doing, I use uh, I use uh, brush pens, like uh, the Pentel pocket brush. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one thing that I use for just general inking. Sometimes, yeah, just general inking. I moved on to working with uh, actual sable brushes for just full-on inking comics when I still ink comics traditionally. <laughs> I've actually, I actually haven't worked traditionally in comics in a month so far, so... That's kind of been interesting. Uh, another thing. Let's see. I have a whole bunch of pencils. Like I have a bunch of, you know, mechanical pencils. I have like this, the uh, Pentel, what are they called? The Pentel, um, let me go look at my pencil real quick. So yeah, Pentel Graph Gear pencil. It's right here. Oh, you probably can't see. <laughs> no, because I'm only seeing your screen. Yeah. So, oh, uh, King Sus wants to know like who's the other who's on the other side of my stream. So I guess you can just reintroduce yourself for everyone on my stream and anyone who's just joining the the uh, stream right now. Well, I am Crimson Six Zero Six Zero. I'm an artist myself. I've been drawn for about twenty years now, but serious over the last five years. I also am a YouTuber, a streamer, a political commentary. And part-time, you know, megalomaniac. <laughs> part-time megalomaniac. Yeah, you can't really be a megalomaniac part-time, really. Like that—that's impossible to do, I'd say. But when you win their hearts and minds, you're always working. Oh boy. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, somewhat a philosopher. Yeah. Really, I always call that overthinking. You would be right. I think one of my <laughs> quotes, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of um, Soren Kierkegaard, um, but he was an absurdist. But he was like, you can do or don't do, married, get married, kill yourself or don't kill yourself. The question is, whatever you do, you're going to regret it. The key of philosophy is to just find out why. So I'll live my life by that principle. Now, my question, my question is, 
what was that initial push to make you start actually putting more of your work out there? Because I'm steady trying to spark that with a lot of people who are just like, look, you have great talent. Let people know. So, so I think the initial giant push that actually pushed me towards actually doing conventions and all that stuff was, um, so uh, when I was uh, showing off my portfolio and stuff like that, like I was working on my first comic, Shirley's Day, it took me like five years because, you know, I'd never made a comic ever. And while I was working on the comic, I was pretty much going to conventions because my mom's friend told me that I need to, you know, stop. Well, I wouldn't say stop moping, but I mope so much that, you know, she has a family friend or actually she's a co-worker and she goes to comic cons like she uh, her comic friend goes to like C2E2 pretty frequently and she was just constantly nudging me to go out to C2E2 and meet up and socialize and stuff like that. I was like, nah. Oh, no, wait, no. Before C2E2, before C2E2, there was actually a smaller library con called uh, the uh, Galaxy Comics and Fantasy Art Expo. Sorry about that. I'm confusing my timelines, actually. But they're both relevant. So, yeah, I showed my portfolio to a guy named uh, Mikey Babinski. And, you know, he totally dug my pencil art. Like, he was really excited about my penciling. All right, see you, Mouse. Great uh, stopping by. But, uh, yeah, I... <laughs> so I showed my portfolio to him, and, you know, he was just explaining, you know, how... He was just telling me, hey, you should make an actual comic, you know, you should continue this and, you know, just use these characters that you have in your portfolios and sketchbooks to actually make a comic. I think your cartoon style would really work. I was like, okay. And I never really paid too much mind until I'd say a month later, I think. I don't remember the exact timeline after that. But I'd say I started working on Shirley's Day, I'd say in that same year that I met Mikey Babinski. So I believe I was work, I was pencil drawing it. And then C2E2 was coming up and my family friend was telling me, hey, you, we should stop by C2E2 and hang out. And I was like, uh, okay, I guess I don't know why I, I'm nervous about going to C2E2, but, you know, I decided to go because, you know, at least I could show my portfolio again like I did at Galaxy. It's a tough way. It's tough to get all the way out to C2E2 because, you know, it's all the way in Chicago, but I took a train to get there mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And I actually got there. Well, I, I don't think you can really go to a convention but, you know, I got there later than I wanted to because I was still trying to figure out how to get to McCormick Place from Joliet. And, you know, I had to, like, take the train to, like, the Stock Stadium, then take, like, the Green Line to McCormick. Yeah, it's a lot easier now. It's a lot easier now. Oh, yeah? Yeah, actually, you can take the train to Union Station. 
and mm-hmm. then take the Metro Electric, and you're okay. there. Yeah, no. ask me how I know. Yeah, I've just backup. been around. Maybe the blue would work better. Now, um, and that kind of mirrors the story I was telling. Like, yeah, I went mm-hmm. there. Like, yeah, it was like, dude, you have good art. And I was like, no, nah, I don't really don't have good art. Um, my next question is. If, why do you do the art? I'm going to put it like that. Why do you do it? Do you do it for money? Do you do it for fame? Do you do it simply for expression? Do you do it for all three above? Do you do it like I do it for the reason I do it to rule and change the world? I do it for the memes mostly. No. <laughs> so I think what really got me into comics was uh, I read Captain Underpants like, when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Like my big influences is uh, Captain Underpants and Jeff Smith's Bone, if you like know your indie comics, like Jeff Smith's Bone is a really amazing indie comic. If you haven't read Jeff Smith's Bone, freaking read it right now. And yeah, I really liked that. And I was like, I think Captain Underpants mainly showed me how to make comics because, you know, in those books, they explain how you make comics and how you make like flip books too. So it was just really cool with Captain Underpants. And when I was a kid, uh, me and my friend made a bunch of these flip books inspired by Captain Underpants. So this is a quick and side note. Were you disappointed with the movie that they came out with? I actually still haven't seen that movie, actually. I, I haven't I, seen it. I, I know it's on Netflix, but I still haven't seen it yet. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I know they probably won't be. But... I, was, I am hopeful for it because it's animated. And that's that's probably my biggest litmus test for just being hopeful is it's freaking animated. So it's bound to at least not suck that badly. <laughs> that's, that's the bare minimum, I'd say. Like, if you take a cartoon thing and at least animate it, it's going to suck much, much less than if you just did a freaking live action thing. And you're trying to like explain the retard logic of a cartoon thing, because that's never going to work. Like with the superhero stuff, it's still kind of disappointing because they pretty much have to nerf them really badly for them to actually work in live action. Yeah, like they have to make Thor seem more like an alien and more Norse god. Like, I do really dig more God characters. Like, it did, like, a lot of the Marvel stuff, you know, even if it's completely inaccurate, it did get me into movies. Like, watching the Spider-Man cartoons and watching the movies did get me into reading Spider-Man comics. I mean, but you got to remember, they're doing more of the um, 1610 universe than the 626. The 616, so. And it's not even, it's not even 1610. It's just, like, Probably like sixteen twelve. Like the the MCU is like sixteen twelve. However, the new Spider Man move the Spider Man PS4 game and the Avengers game are actually supposed to be in the same universe, share the same universe. Oh really? Yeah. Cause hmm. um, it's even a comment that he makes. He's like, Yeah, I heard the Avengers this is Avengers Tower, like in a PS4 Spider Man. Um yeah. I heard this is Avengers Tower. I heard they're in San Francisco right now. Which is a mm-hmm. reference to the Square Game. Okay. 
which what? is odd because it's well actually no it's sony slightly but it's, it was kind of weird to me that's a weird thing that's a, this is the first i'm hearing of this actually yeah all of the marvel video games like the new era marvel video games are supposed to be in the same universe mm-hmm. now keep this white i like the blue <laughs> I'm thinking out loud here. Don't mind no, me. No worries, no worries. That's the benefit of having digital because once I commit to um, a color, I'm committed to that motherfucking color. But um, one of the things that um, I dislike about the new Avengers game that's coming up is all of the... It just seems like a microtransaction hell coming up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it does look like it's... Like, I saw those alternate costumes. I was like, no. Ugh, it looks it looks awful. And you telling me that Spider-Man's also supposed to be in that universe. I'm like, really? That's why Sony's getting yeah. Spider-Man. That's why Sony's getting Spider-Man. Oh. No, that's why they're fighting over it. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. Yeah, it's a weird thing with that. But yeah, I mean, I don't have a PlayStation, so this sort of doesn't really affect me that much. Like, I, I want to play it because it looks really good, especially like that normal Spider-Man because they're pretty much just adapting wacky Arkham combat in there, and they're making it make a little more sense than just Batman because <laughs> uh, the Spider-Sense makes a lot more sense than just Batman suddenly knows that a criminal's hitting him with a pipe or a criminal's suddenly going to shoot him. Like, at least Spider-Man has, you know, that sixth sense. Like, he's practically, you know, he can see the clipboard. Yeah. 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 So, uh, um, with Batman's, like, it's Batman wins because he's Batman. <laughs> so, let me ask Marvel or DC? What's, what's your favorite? Um. That's actually a tougher call for me because I actually grew up with the DC cartoons. And I really like the DC cartoons, like the Bruce Timm stuff and all that. And I mean, I remember the 90s radioactive spider blood. And I dug that. <laughs> you know, they, they are the first shared universe because everything that the 90s Marvel cartoons did were all one shared universe. Oh, uh, yeah, all, that's very true because, yeah. Like the only time, because even the latest I think they went is when they had that first Avengers cartoon. Hmm. Oh yeah, there was an Avengers cartoon actually. Yeah, there that, was an Avengers cartoon. There was a Fantastic Four cartoon. There was an Iron Man cartoon. There was a Hulk cartoon. Yes. I think they were saying that they wanted a Thor cartoon, but I don't know if they there anything went forward with that. Um, there was a. I know Silver Ghost Rider showed up in. They even, Ghost, had, they even had Silver Surfer because he spawned off after like Galactus was pissed off at him after the Fantastic Four one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. Yeah, he crossed. Yeah, and then obviously X Men. My God, I forgot about the X Men. I am. <laughs> oh God, I'm falling for that. Like. Like freaking Disney propaganda because I'm like, huh, I've completely forgotten about the X-Men, but nobody should forget about the X-Men. The reason you're forgetting about the X-Men is because they don't want you to remember the X-Men. But you know what? The thing about it is with that X-Men cartoon, 
like I saw the interviews behind it, and it was like, yeah, we kind of we like they are simultaneously a good reason of how they did the cartoon to save money by doing the recaps, but mm. like shows like, and I'm gonna say it, shows like Naruto kind of takes that recap thing to the whole next level. Oh yeah, <laughs> but like it was a cost saving measure by doing previously on X Men. And they had good long storylines. Um, what was another um, like the Iron Man? The Iron Man show was actually awesome, um, and I, I think that was right when Marvel was trying to um, rebound from the bankruptcy. Um, but let's be honest, oh, yeah, that bankruptcy, yeah. If if DC wasn't owned by Warner Brothers, they would have been bankrupted too. Yeah, that's very true. Like, the 90s seemed like a real shit show, I'd say. It's kind of funny because I, uh, the first time I, well, I'd say the second time I was taking up X-Men was I was reading uh, Chris Claremont's, like, giant freaking X-Men run mm-hmm. uh, in, like, those black and white essential X-Men comics. I don't know if you know about, like, those big, fat black and white phone book size comic collections where it pretty much just collects giant freaking comic runs mm-hmm. of you know the entire thing like i i personally think it's the best thing they've ever done because you know it's all there and you don't even have to hunt for it like i wish they i wish more i wish they i wish people kept doing that actually just making those big old essential the essential X-Men or the essential Spider-Man, like even up to the modern stuff. Cause you know, it's, I think at the time I was way more used to graphic novels than the floppies. Like even to this day, I hate reading floppies, even though I freaking sell floppies. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) I, (laughs) I prefer make, I prefer graphic novels in general because it's all there it's all collected i don't have to hunt for them and guess and deal with a pull list and risk tearing them i think that was probably my biggest thing is just risking tearing them it probably was a non-issue but i still just felt like oh man i'll tear this if i let this go so i i get exactly what you're saying like in the 90s the reason why we had so the comic bust is because of the speculation bubble Versus actually, really. versus actually, like the trade comic books where they would actually mm. get that whole story arc. Yeah, of course. And that's oh, yeah, yeah. Trade comic books, indie comics. Like mm-hmm. again, Bone and uh, what's it called? Um, the Mask and you know the birth of Image Comics and stuff like that. Like a lot of indie comics were just getting bigger yeah. because of the '90s and stuff like that. Milestone. Like, Johnny the Homicidal, yeah, Milestone and all that stuff. You were seeing Static Shock showing up, Static Shock, Icon. There's also this uh, other girl. She was like more of a jetpack girl. She was pretty cool. I forget her name, though. One of the things that I, th- I bet Marvel wished they wouldn't have had it done because Static Shock would be awesome in the Marvel Universe, but they turned them down. Oh, really? Yeah. It, Milestone oh, was originally supposed to go to Marvel. He was supposed to be a mutant. Mm. But, you know, <laughs> well, that is a mind. That's pretty fucking mind blowing, I'd say. 
um, what is another one? And um, yeah, it's just like when you look at the like I I gotta admit um, when I don't read comics like physical copies, I may go on different sites and like read them or just watch the YouTube re- retelling through different people's perspective. Um, because you could like for example. I watch Comics Explained, but I also watch Dope Spill okay. and Comic Story because, like, each one of them miss out parts. But I also may yeah, go to different um, sites that may not exactly be um, authorized to, like, do things like read manga. Okay. Now, yeah, yeah. Another reason why I'm so used to, like, having those collected things was because also at the time I read a lot of manga mostly mm-hmm. like you know I was reading early Naruto I was reading like early Dragon Ball I was reading like Gintama and Death Note and stuff like that yeah I think Gintama actually showed up a little later but whatever I'm, like I was just reading manga more often than I'm not gonna know. be ashamed to admit I actually read the whole Sailor Moon manga oh yeah and it was a lot better than the TV shows in the 90s Oh yeah, I've actually been interested in just actually catching up and watching Sailor Moon and Inuyasha and all the other quote-unquote girly mangas. Because <laughs> like, okay, it was there. People did really like it. And I think I'm old enough to not give a hell about cringy manga because there's way worse shit so, out there. You know, like, I, I, was, I did not know the woman who wrote Sailor Moon and the man who wrote um, Yu Yu Hakusho are like married. Oh yeah, yeah. I also remember the um, what's his name, the One Piece artist. He married a cosplayer, oh. like a very notable cosplayer. Probably like a well, the Japanese cosplayer. I, I I don't know. It's kind of like one of those interesting deals. Yeah. But yeah, um, yeah, it's really interesting. Now, one I also the- remember. I also remember like hearing that. Uh, I don't know if you know about the newest, the newest Netflix anime called B Stars. It's like pretty much just a new furry anime. But yeah, uh, you're talking about the, apparently the. You're talking about the Netflix anime that's going to spawn a whole bunch of furries like Sonic yeah, and like much. Lola Bunny from um from uh, Space Jam. Yeah, I still haven't seen it yet, but, you know, a lot of my friends are kind of, like, constantly talking about it, telling me, hey, you should read it. I'm like, I'll read it later, (laughs) and I'll watch it later. It's like, hanging on my Netflix, like, yeah, you'll watch it, but I want to watch Killer Clowns from Outer Space instead. (laughs) But, yeah, uh, the uh, artist who made uh, the Beastars manga, apparently she's also the darter of the artist who made uh, Baki the Grappler. And it's like this super, it's this super battle manga ass battle manga. Like it goes through all the elaborate steps of actual fighting. I like, think I've heard that. Like before. if you like fighting and really good functional muscles, like he emphasizes muscles for proper function. Like he gives a lot of fuck about muscles with like Baki the Grappler. Like he even goes through like the logic of oh hey if you're big and if you're uh if you're scrawny and abby 
be that's mostly just aesthetic muscles you're better off being like wide and fatter because you're more of a weightlifter and that's going to help you function you'll have better core that way and he like goes through stuff like that i'm like wow this is nuts so that's also on my wacky list of you know read it now because you know this is really good yeah see when what really got me started into like manga is actually just anime i remember um i don't oh know yeah definitely were, i don't know if you're you're i, I, yeah, I know tsunami and stuff like that no 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 i don't know how old really? you are but there was a show called Japanimation that used to come on Chicago Channel 62. Mm. And they used to show some of the darkest anime there was. Now, they censored it out. Um, Doom like Metropolis. Which anime? Metrop- oh, Metropolis. Doom, oh, no, shit. Doomed Metropolis. Huh. Never heard of that one. Or um, what was it? was another one. Vampire Hunter D. Um, oh, shit. Really? <laughs> yeah. And it would come on like it. 11 o'clock at night like on a Saturday night and they would just show two, a two hour block that's fucking rad like that have you have you ever seen like the actual original novel Vampire Hunter D with like the illustrations by uh, Yoshitaka Amano the uh, Final Fantasy artist no it's really good it's like it's well basically you know it's about a I think it's like a vampire bounty hunter in a way. Yeah, I, he, I, I know. Oh, yeah, he's, he's the art a, just looks really good. It's Alucard, basically. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and that's I hate to say it like that. It's, it's kind of funny because I think Helsing kind of like ripped that off. <laughs> well, because uh, you got to remember, it's it's like it's either Dracula, either it's Alucard is either his son or like a weaker form of Dracula, like yeah. Like, Look, look at Castlevania. Oh yeah, um, and it's and I've heard that in other places before. Um, it's just like anime has a weird fascination with Dracula. Either he, oh, yeah, like, vampires are cool. Exactly, <laughs> and the Western vampires are cool versus like the Eastern vampires. Yeah, Eastern vampires—they just suck people's anuses. They're that cool. <laughs> I think it's pronounced auras, but. Yeah. <laughs> now, another one that they showed, I don't know if you've ever heard of Wicked City. Nope, I haven't. Um, of course, um, we have all the classic animes that they showed. Like, they showed us a few movies of Evangelion. Um, huh. I've, you know, I've never seen Evangelion ever. And I hear, like, that's the gigantic, everybody should watch Evangelion type of thing. And I'm like, yeah. If I can actually find it. It's on Netflix. Oh, it is. Like yes. here, like, it's not the complete thing. No, it's on Netflix, and they do the end of Evangelion. Oh, okay. And um, what was another one? Um, of course, like, the cheesy um, harem anime, Tenchimoto. I fucking oh, love yeah, I the original that. one. Not not, not the universe, or not the Tenchi in love. The original Tenchimoto, where he was, like, Space Jesus... Like next god of the universe, and everybody was related to him, and everybody like gushed over him, both figuratively and literally. <laughs> and then I, I, I have vague memories about Tenchi Muyo. Yeah, I have super vague memories. 
Um, what are some other animes that I watch? Like, I used to watch stuff like Tri-Blood, um, Trigun. <coughs> some of those more fantasy-type things, but futuristic, almost. Um, like, animes now, like... I know I like watch like some of the trash animes or what the sophisticated people call trash anime, like Sword Art Online. Online, it's not My a friends bad. Watch Sword Art. It's so. not a bad anime. It mm. could be better in places. Um, of course, I watch Naruto, both yeah. original and Shippuden. I actually like. It's kind of interesting because I did want to reread that manga because I hear like. It ends in a way, because I think I stopped reading, I think I stopped, well, just consuming Naruto ever since, I think it stopped showing up on Toonami, I think. I think the last time I saw Naruto was the near end of the tuning exam, like just when Sasuke disappeared. Oh, you didn't go into the Shippuden time frame. Oh, I feel yeah. bad for you. Yeah, so I was, like, playing catch-up with that. So, like, recently I was like, okay, I'm going to read the Naruto manga and see if I can't find Bleach in the library because I want to see how that train crashes. Oh, shit. I need to save real quick. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. You're nearly crashed. How far did you get into Bleach? I was in the very, very beginning of Bleach. Like, oh wow! I think, <laughs> I think the first time, uh, what's his name, Chad or whatever his name is, the uh, like that muscle guy. Oh wow! I know later on he gets like this arm or whatever, but it was still super early. Like, I think it was just when, uh, what's his name, Ichigo finds out. Rukia was taken back to Soul Society for her trial. Like, oh, I'm wow. in the very, very beginning of Bleach. And I, again, I lost track of Bleach. And I was like, okay, I should catch back on Bleach because it ends terribly. So I want to see exactly why. <laughs> Actually, it doesn't end bad. And they're going to bring it up. But the thing about it, they bring up the end. But the thing about it is, as you know with fans, anybody that has fans, hmm. they want something new, but the same thing. Yeah. And... I always heard that, like, the mangaka was just constantly fighting with his editor. Like, he was just constantly fighting with him. And he constantly was getting sick because of the... basically the work. Oh, yeah. Um... Not everybody yeah. can be a Toriyama. Oh, yeah. So right now, guys, we're going to take a little break in this wonderful show to bring you our sponsor. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We're going to thank our sponsor for supporting this episode of this podcast. Now let's get back to the show. 
And even Toriyama was kind of just bullshitting his way to victory, really. But you gotta remember, Toriyama would like the if Dak when the mangas used to come out every week, he would wait to the last two days and push shit out. Yeah, exactly. He is amazing at bullshitting his way to victory. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, a lot of people obviously crap on his writing, but I sort of commend that a little. <laughs> as like one artist to another because it's like <laughs> you know I, sometimes I do sometimes I do feel like man if I could I you know I'm a mass I'm a massive perfectionist myself and Toriyama does not give a fuck he was like he'll like fucking draw right in there and he'll just do it because time is money like he will get it done and it, it still looks half decent enough that, like the, the famous you know. Super Saiyan story. What color oh, yeah. are you gonna make his hair? I don't know, blonde because we don't have time to ink it. <laughs> 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 it's like, it's like, see, it's like quick thinking like that makes freaking genius iconic things like that. Sure, it ends up just getting abused and dumb, but. <laughs> Like I don't know. It's like, ooh, ooh, I got a great idea. Let's show how how strong these people are by power levels. And then, like, two issues later, we totally throw that shit out the window. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, because he just had deadlines, and his editor was like, "Hey, how can we make the kids like? How can we make the kids like Dragon Ball? I don't know. Power levels, I guess. No. He's like, yeah. Favorite part, like." I got tired of drawing his tail, so I just made him lose it. Wait, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I got. Yeah, it's really funny. I wanted to draw better fight scenes, so I made him an adult. Wait, what? But he has short arms. Yeah, but it, it it just looks better if he has longer arms. So we're gonna make him an adult and broke the anime cartoon, whatever you want to call it, of the kid staying a kid forever. It's like, oh no, we're just gonna make you an adult, make it easier to fight. <laughs> Yeah, like his laziness breeds innovation. That's that's engineer mind. He's a freaking engineer. Like he has the brain of an engineer. Engineers, engineers are smart. They think of smart they think of smart solutions because they're effing lazy most of the time. That's kind of my weird mythology that I always think about when I think of engineers because I uh, I have a bunch of friends who kind of like do a lot of engineering type of things like they build stuff and <laughs> nine times out of ten they're usually like doing it because they don't give a fuck <laughs> oh. they just want to just do it just to do it this guy my job he was like so we're gonna like his he was in engineering class and his engineering teacher actually says um um, his engineering teacher was like, hey, drop an egg off of like a certain floor in the John Hancock building, right? So everybody tried to come up with these elaborated ways of the egg not crashing. You know what he did? They do. Built the parachute. <laughs> <laughs> Just built the parachute. Like, it's like, fuck it. <laughs> like, fuck it. It's not <laughs> stupid if it works. <laughs> That that is the that is the motto that I need to follow. That is that's Buddhist monk level, like 
calmness. Like, it's not stupid if it works. And I wish I wasn't as, like, that's the kind of innovation in, I'd say, intelligence that I hope to aspire to. Because I kind of want to be a little more fast and loose with myself, like in general, like life stuff and all that stuff. And, you know, you just have these, I'd say, you're just seeing all these guys just able to have their shit together, mainly because they give slightly less of a fuck than the next guy, you know? Mm -hmm. So (laughs) it's kind of funny with that. What is the phrase, fail faster? Yeah, exactly. Like, these guys are really good at failing fast because they don't have time to actually care who thinks of them. Now, see, we've been on stream for the last, what, hour or so, and this looks fucking awesome, man. I am looking at your screen, and it looks fucking awesome. Thanks much. Yeah, so far, so good. Yeah, these days I've been trying to get more into working off my actual pencils because mm-hmm. I've been I've been I've been looking at a bunch of other artists and you know they have really really clean line art and I'm like okay I want I want to at least have some better line art for my art because you know I you know I feel self-conscious about it so um, I'm I'm like constantly chasing smaller and smaller lines, and you know I was like, okay, my inking's incredibly stiff. Why don't I try just drawing on the pencil itself, and see how that goes, and just belt it out real quickly. And yeah, so far some people have been thinking positively about this, like or at least receiving it more positively, and. You know, I'm continuing it with some of my stuff. I'm still, like, doing some experiment stuff. There's still a few things that I'll still ink. Like, this one I'm currently working on because mm-hmm. this was actually traditionally inked. And uh, this big commission, this was actually, I'm inking this, but I'm using gray lines for this, actually. Yeah, I like see. Inking it in gray so it's not just a complete black line. So, what I've actually done, because I'm still using traditional, is I'm, like, incredibly cheap. So, what I actually did was go to the dollar store, get the $4-4 mechanical pencils, get their little drawing paper, do Hmm. my sketching on that, and I have a light pad, Hmm. which I translate all my sketch, once I get it done, to... Uh, either a Bristol or mixed media, mostly does does Bristol, do Bristol, and I have clean lines. And when I'm actually, cause like I hate the hard black lines myself, because yeah. using acetone markers, and you've known this from using Copics, if you get it just right, it can look as if you're using watercolor. <coughs> mm. Especially oh, yeah. if you blend it really well, and that's. One of my strong suits. It can look almost as if you're looking watercolor. And the thing about it is I started using fine liners. Instead of actually using black markers or the 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 um 
what do, what do you call it? The the graphite on the the final drawing, I use fine liners hmm. to match the colors that I'm going to actually use, and it's actually turned out well for me. I don't know about going to a digital format. If I get more resources myself, I'm going to actually go more to a digital format. But like, man, I'm having fun using traditional. Well, you know, if you ever want to, like, try out digital, there's a tablet called the Wacom One, which is, like, it's fairly cheap. It's also their, like, newest, newest one. And, you know, it's one of their new, cheaper ones. What I'm trying to find out the price of it right now. But, you know, it's it's not like a screen tablet, but, you know, it's a nice starter. You know, you put it on the, you know, you can draw on the thing while looking at the stream straightforward and that's a good starter tablet i think this. i know what you're wanting that you're talking about um it's probably oh, about yeah. 100 um i did actually try to demo one and to be honest with you it was a size of, size of a fucking um um index card and i did not have any good fun. i did not have any good times with that one. Oh, okay yeah, I was just, you know, suggesting it because it seemed like it was cheaper. No, it was no. like $60 I, and, you know. No, I know the one you're talking about, um, but the one I had, it was like $30 on Amazon. Uh, okay. It, it, was, it was not fun. Yeah, the one all. I'm about to link to you is like, oh, just drop it here in the Zoom call. But yeah, this one on Amazon is like, $60, like $59.95. So, you know, it's a nice, cheap starter tablet, I'd say. I'd, I'd, I could probably recommend it because it seems like it's similar to uh, some bamboo tablets because they used to have a tablet called Bamboo, the Wacom Bamboo. Mm-hmm. And that's how they used to, you know, those were the beginner starter tablets. So, you know, when I started learning digital art, I used a Wacom Bamboo, and I forget, uh, GIMP. Yeah, I used GIMP. I also used a uh, really old, well, it's not old. At the time, it wasn't old. But I used uh, a uh, Macromedia Flash 5 to do some of my drawing. And I used to try and animate back then with uh, Flash 5. And, you know, I was pretty all right, but I never really, like, made anything or, like, I never posted anything. So I used to, now that was pretty much the gist of my digital thing, but I was still hanging on to traditional art because I didn't understand the concept of pen pressure or breast settings and things like that. I was kind of just lost in general. So how much practice do you think you did with digital art before you became comfortable? Uh, I'll say five years. I'll say that much. Because I was mostly working digitally in college because all of my peers were working digitally in college. And, like, they were able to make full-blown concept art-looking art. Like, full-blown, they could paint and stuff. It looked like, you know, concept art books from uh, Uncharted and things like that. Like, it looked like that. I was like, oh, is that what good art is? I should probably get a tablet so my art can look a little better. Oh, I was, I was oh. kind of dope, insecure, and stuff like that. 
So, you know, I learned how to use uh, one of those, um, one of the Intuos tablets. And then later I purchased my own Intuos, like a large ass freaking size tablet that could barely fit in my bag. Like I had to get a whole separate bag just to fit it. <laughs> and <laughs> and I was working with that because I was like, okay, because I was taught in figure drawing to draw with my arm and just draw really large. So I was like, okay, I'll get a, the largest tablet I have because I was taught to draw large. And I'd say overall, it was sort of a wasted purpose, or at least in the context of now, because, you know, I don't have much space at the moment. So let me ask you this. Um, I'm just looking at your style. Which, what would you say most influenced you, the Eastern style of art or Western? I'd say that's a tougher question because many people say that my art looks like Disney style and other people say that my art looks anime style. But I'd say since I consume a lot of RPGs, like a lot of my art influences is like Legend of Zelda and Nintendo games. I'd say Eastern art styles probably influences me a little more because, you know, video games are mostly in that Eastern style. So I'll just say that Eastern styles inspire me more. So what's your favorite video game? I love Zelda. I freaking love Legend of Zelda stuff. These days, Breath of the Wild is my current favorite Zelda. But before Breath of the Wild, I really liked... Actually, I really like the original Zelda one, actually. Like, it's the one game that I keep replaying. I will say... There was a a collection. Like, there was a Zelda collection back in the GameCube days where uh, it came with a demo of Wind Waker, but also came with Zelda 1, Zelda 2, Ocarina of Time, and Majora's Mask. Until I was playing all those games at the same time. So I will say this. Zelda 1 was okay. Zelda 2, I don't know what what LSD fuel trip they were on. It must have been all the cocaine they made from selling Zelda 1. But um, Link into the Past is probably my favorite. I haven't played any other ones past Link into the Past. And I'll tell you why I have an attachment to Link into the Past. So what is this magazine called? Nintendo Power. Okay. Where they yeah, actually did, some... they actually did the story of Link into the Past. Like, oh, yeah, full Tetsuya Hirata. No, yes. yeah, Tirada, I think Tetsuya Tirada. They also did um, Mario World as well. So they did both of them, and it was a fuck. Like literally, it was it was Link and Zelda like you've never known them before. Oh yeah. And in the end, like, he became the protector of the Triforce, and they broke up. That's depressing, actually. She was like, while we were going through it, you rescued me. We fell in love. But ever since, and it was like, uh, it was like a few years after they, like, won. It was like, ever since you became the wielder of the Triforce, the protector of the Triforce, you've been so distanced. And we can't keep doing this, Link. And she's like, goodbye, Link. It sounds like, you know, the ending to Ocarina, too. It was, the ending of Ocarina of Time was pretty bittersweet as well. 
because basically Zelda had to send Link back to his own timeline so he could actually relive his childhood. And I'd say the timeline is kind of different now because, oh, in the context of Majora's Mask, Navi either disappeared or died. They're really vague about it. And I guess young Link was kind of like hunting for her or something like that. It's weird. Majora's Mask is really good at being vague because when they were making Majora's Mask, they were pretty much on a fucking tight deadline and weren't really thinking too hard about the actual details. When It's like when they try to make direct sequel, sequels to um, Legend of Zelda, they fuck it up. Actually, they actually had a pretty good track record of it because... You know, Majora's Mask and A Link Between Worlds were pretty good. Like, the only real bad sequels. I'm not saying bad, but they don't keep the same continuity. They always should basically try to do Oh, yeah, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, I I know what you mean. It's like, um, it's like, it's like the Mega Man problem. The continuity between Mega Man and Mega Man X. Oh, yeah, that. In well, Man. I think it's a little easier to get Mega Man and Mega Man X because those two continues are so far apart from each other that they have a lot of room to kind of just bullshit their way <laughs> away from the actual details of what actually happened. Like, I was legit thinking that... uh Mega Man 10, like when they were making that, was going to actually link Mega Man X and Mega Man together, like they, Mega Man Classic and all that. They always you know, obviously like, the Roman numeral, you'd think, okay, Mega Man X, Mega Man 10, they're actually going to do it. But they don't really, they kind of like, they kind of cowered out on it. Even in Mega Man 9, they kind of like suggest, oh, hey, there's the schematics for Zero. Right, but they nope, always they link zero. They never link X. That's what it yeah. is. They always yeah. link zero. It's like it's a theory that like what ha- what's happening between Wiley and um and um Light were in a small area because all the rest of the world didn't know about robots and like really? they not they, they um zero woke up the first time he woke up and killed everybody. And Wasn't it, the point of the robot masters was that they were supposed to be like service robots, so people should know about the robots. Right. And so in X's timeline they didn't. So it was like it, it may have been a thing where they were off in one part of the world. And hmm. like because like when they found X, it was just a total wasteland. It was everything around them was dead. And they they had a they had an epiphany that Every zero came to life, killed everybody except for Mega Man, and Mega Man, because of everything that happened, became vile in the original game. Hmm. That's weird. Because like in the context of the like general storyline stuff, like there was a few like anime movies about the about Mega Man X where it's like, okay, they had a civilization, they had a few robots, but they didn't really have really good AI robots mm-hmm. until they found X. Right. Zero. And right. then they built, like, all the actual good robots, like all the Mavericks and the Reploids and stuff like that. But remember, R- R- um, Rock was a literal good AI. 
rock and roll. Mm-hmm. They like, of course, rock and roll. Um, yeah. But they had good AI, but like nobody else knew about it. Mm-hmm. Some shit went down, and it was probably zero. Zero probably came through and just wiped every fucking thing out. Because you got to remember, Zero isn't just based on Proto Man. Yeah, He's Zero, also yeah, based on yeah, Mega Man. Zero wasn't yeah, Zero wasn't a robot master. Is Doc? Yeah, Doctor. Ro- I think I forget which Mega Man Zero game or whatever. But Doctor Wily did say that Zero was supposed to like be way better than any robot master because he really wanted to outdo Doctor Light with this. Yeah, he was based on. Proto Man, Mega Man, and Base. That's that's who Zero was. He was based on all three of them, and he was not fucking around. He came to he came through and just annihilated shit. That was a suspicion. He came through and just it's like ah, oh, isn't that cute? You have an X but you have a you have a Mega Buster. Here, let me show you what a real one's about. Oh yeah, like Zero was way more advanced than everything and you know it's you know he just dr light pretty much had to reply in kind like a, the story of mega man is essentially two scientists having an arms war against each other <laughs> just having a private arms war against each other like a private arms waste and it's just comical um so what do you think of the current state of video games that's happening right now? I don't think about the current state of video games. <laughs> uh, that's 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 probably a weird non-answer, but that's kind of the truth. Like I'm making my own in I'm making my own video game, and you know that's kind of like me saying, you know, I'm doing my own thing. Like I I have a Switch bound play it that often. Like I don't play video games often ever since I graduated college. Well, actually, I'd say even ever since I started college. Like, I've been more satisfied drawing than actually playing video games these days that I'll really, I don't really play video games. I still keep up with some of them, though. Like, I know, I, I've been keeping my eyes on the latest re- releases and stuff like that. I still listen to game podcasts like Giant Bomb and all that stuff. But I'd say in terms of the actual game industry, obviously the DLC stuff's really bad. And obviously they were trying to rip off TF2's success. Because, mm-hmm. You know, Valve makes money because they're really good at making hats. <laughs> Not only that, they make money for the Steam platform. Now... Oh, yeah. That's it's actually pretty interesting. The game that you're playing, that you're making, um, are you gonna try to put it on any of the major platforms? Uh, obviously we're gonna start on PC. Mm-hmm. And no, no, I mean like, are you gonna try to put it on Steam, Indiegogo, um, um, G, um, GOG? It's likely that we're probably gonna start on itch.io because mm-hmm. you know it's more for you know the more indie plucky guys, mm-hmm. and plus you can set it up for free for anyone who wants to. Itch.io has a more looser atmosphere than Steam, mm-hmm. I'd say. But uh, we still haven't decided yet because we're still freaking making it. We're taking it one step at a time. But I'd say we're likely going to we're obviously going to put on pc first because you know it's a pc game 
But obviously, since the Game Boy aesthetic, we're going to try and get on the Switch or whatever Nintendo console because it's a freaking Game Boy type game. It's it's tough to really like go without that Game Boy game. So that's kind of the massive hope. In terms of like other consoles, we'll see if we get development kits, you know? Well, you know, um, Nintendo right now is actually reaching out to a lot of indie studios. So, oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and that's pretty much the reason why I did get a Switch was because there are so many indie studios just doing really well. There are so many games that I actually legit want to play. And, you know, plus the portability, like I could play in my car and it was really great. (laughs) Well, you know, that's what actually I would say helped kick PlayStation off this generation. They didn't have any of their big budget IPs, but the indies like helped fill the goal. Now, if we can only get Microsoft to want to make games instead of making, like, um, services. But that's a yeah. different story. Um, that kind of goes into the... Yeah, with X, it's weird with Xbox because Xbox doesn't make games that appeal to me at all. <laughs> Nothing in Xbox's library really appeals to me. Like, they're all shooters, mostly. You mean Gears, um, Halo, and Forza? Yeah, yeah. Like I played, <laughs> I played a little bit of Halo One with a friend, but you know he was kind of an asshole co-op partner who kept shooting me in the back. So you know what, Halo sucks. I don't want to play it. Um, my friends tried to get me into Minecraft, but I was playing it on PC, and I was like, eh, I don't really get the appeal. So it okay. kind of bounced off of me. Um, Forza, I've never played Forza, but I might play Forza. I I think I think I was like put off by the rumor. Well, they're not rumors, it's a real thing. Like the fact that it was more of a realistic racing game. I was like, eh, I kind of prefer the arcade style racing, so I'd probably I probably I, I hear uh, Forza Horizon's more arcadey. It is. So I'll probably see if I can't find it. See Unlike, you like uh whatever the Microsoft service store is because I have Windows 10, so... You would have hated... You would have hated my favorite um, racing game, Gran Turismo. Oh, Gran Turismo. I've heard of Gran Turismo. Oh, it's fucking awesome. Yeah. I was the I was a crazy motherfucker that used to do the two-hour races. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was, I'm so used to games like uh, Hydro Thunder and California Rush and, like, the bowling alley arcade and things like that that I was like, eh, this is... You know, the other games, like, I feel like GTA has really awful driving controls. I can't stand GTA's driving. Like, I don't know how anyone could like GTA's driving. Ironically, that's not the worst driving game that I've actually played. Really? Um, No, really, for real. I actually have a game called Far Cry. Far Cry. Yes, that that driving is horrible. Um, one of the things that I've actually done is like I'm I'm a big world build. I'm a big like give me Legos and I will build you a fucking world. Like I mm. did get into Minecraft really heavy, but it was a game called Conan Exiles that I fucking love. Oh, oh my that's god, a Conan the Barbarian game. Okay, and you actually can summon gods. Like you can summon like the different gods in the game. Like you can summon Krom and all that stuff. No. Krom is the only one, is the only god that doesn't hear prayers. <laughs> That's a hell with him. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And um, they had, you can actually summon um, 
um, set, really you nice. have a giant serpent um, avatar. Mithra, um, you can uh, summon um, Daycom, which is basically hell. Like, you mm. literally summon the... the you, you've seen how hell is depicted. Like, um, imagine a really nice, beautiful, tall, 200-foot woman on one half and a oh, yeah, skeleton yeah. on the I, other. Yeah, about, like, Norse hell. Okay. Yeah, you okay. literally summon hell. What was yeah. another one? Um, You can actually summon... Um, um, it's just one like flying skull with smoke coming out of it. Yeah, so mm. um, that was actually a good one. Um, one of the games that I play a lot because I just like fucking space is Elite Dangerous. But I just like what's killing me about gaming now is it's the new gold rush and microtransactions. Oh yeah, it, it disgusts me. Yeah, obviously. Oh yeah, it's not even just the microtransactions. I think it's also just that constant arms race for graphics and stuff like that. Like with that Unreal Engine, uh, what's it, six or five? Yeah, it's five. I mean, obviously, you know, more graphics fidelity means that you know it's way easier for you know having alternate art styles and things like that. But it's kind of like. Nobody really uses it to make interesting art styles. Like, I'll never see a really good impressionism game or a cubism game or anything like that. So one of the things that bothers me about the push for realism and the art, um, the fidelity of video games, it causes motherfucking game companies. And I'm going to say it like fucking Naughty Dog or game companies like... You oh yeah, know. crunching and stuff. That's another thing that also has been bothering me about game companies. No, and I think that's probably game culture in general. I'd say is they're not allowed to shrink their scale. Like mm-hmm. they're never given an opportunity to just shrink their scale for a bit to teach their less experienced guys, you know, to actually make their shit. Like if it's a disappointing game, like game players are gonna be like, oh, they just sent their B team, like. Yes, they sent their B team. They sent their B team so they can become the A team. What the <laughs> hell is wrong with you? And it's kind of, it's, I kind of have a little, these days I kind of give probably more of a pass to games than I'd say most game gamers would say mm-hmm. that I should. Like in terms of like uh, Last of Us 2, yeah. I feel like, you know, I'll probably give that more of a pass because it's likely they had really shitty deadlines and they had no idea what to actually do. Like, I'm more sympathetic to the making and the development of games because I used to be a game. De- I used to be a game tester, and mm-hmm. these days I'm a game developer. But you know, I've inundated myself with the actual making of games and. All that experience has kind of taught me about video games way more than any game review or any time in college, I'd say. I would say it put so much perspective to me that I now am more likely to give even a really bad game a free pass because I'm able to think about the developers who pretty much had to crunch 
or listen to some manager who had no fucking clue how games were made, but they're just giving money because, oh, it's popular with the kids. My son likes it. That means every kid likes it. And dot, dot, dot. But see, that's the thing. The game development, I think, is being, you know, at the same time, written into the ground and hamstring by the game, the, 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 the business part of it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, I'd say that's par for the case with most businesses, I'd say. Like, if you have so many businesses overstepping their bounds and just ignoring, you know, ignoring people who are actually on the ground floor making their stupid thing happen, mm-hmm. like, that's pretty much just going to end up being worse for everyone involved. Because basically, what it boils down to is management babying you and telling you how to do your own job that you've spent years of your life training to do. And not only that, asking for impossible shit at the same time. Oh, yeah. And not, not even just impossible shit. Like, asking for impossible shit and saying that they're right and that they know better than the person who has done this for way longer, for way better. And it's been a real, it's not good, I'd say. (laughs) I mean, I can't really put it shortly other than the suits really aren't good at not middle managing everything to the ground because they have too much of a vested interest and they're like, ah, but I want the money now. How come it isn't making Fortnite money yet? <laughs> I want Fortnite money. It needs to make money now. What when was they don't it? realize, hey, video games take a long time. Video games are a miracle of computer programming. Like, in the grand scheme of computer programming, like in comparison to like something like software development, mm-hmm and stuff like that. Like, game development is wizardry because not only like not only are you trying to think of things like rendering algorithms, mechanics, you're simulating physics, you're simulating enemy AI and behavior and things like that. You're doing so many math calculations. You're making the visual renderer so you'll know how the light bounces. You're trying to figure out how the colors will display on the screen. You're figuring out the screen size of things in comparison. Like, and I'm probably just talking about like PC and stuff like that. You also have to factor in things like console development. Who else has their own PC settings? What kind of graphics card they're using? Yes. The minimal specs. I was about to throw in minimal specs. Yeah, the minimal, the, the, What's it? The least common denominator, probably like the most common, probably like the yeah. lowest common denominator, yeah. stuff like that. Like you, like people complain about, you know, graphics, kind of like not being good enough when they're they're the ones running these four hundred dollar PCs, and they don't even realize that they're like one of twelve guys. <laughs> Who have these four hundred dollar PC or four million dollar PCs? I'm gonna four hundred. That's easy. But yeah, game developers 
and you know game makers and you know the people who fund the stuff they're trying to sell to the soccer mom who wants to just buy a $200 box for their kids so they'll shut up for five minutes you know <laughs> I, that's who they're selling to I think what and I that's think, what actually makes them real money and they're not the only ones in the world you know who play video games you know because that's also another thing that most game most like big game people don't realize is that you're not the center of the earth with what? this kind of stuff. There's Wait, so many people. You're telling me it's not stuff. just for me? Yeah, it's not exactly. just for me? Yes. <laughs> I think when I... people can kind of like argue that it's a shitty argument, like especially the whole, oh, it's for, it's only for kids. It's not for you. But well, what did you expect? You just suddenly showed up as an audience for something that, you know, they were probably not factoring in because, you know, I'm sure the actual devs were like, yeah, we should make this as high fidelity as possible, but the managers and the suits are probably not even going to know or care. They're like, get this out because we want our money now. You know like, what? They're not thinking about that. So there was a, there is a YouTuber named Jim Sterling and he, years ago he says management and like, in actual publishers, they actually think of only when they think video games, they only think of three games and did tell you how long it was. They think everything should be Clash of Clans, Call of Duty, or Candy Crush. Oh, yeah. Those are the only three games that they know. Oh, yeah. And they would like, why isn't it making this much money? It, like, and what pisses me off, especially about the microtransactions, like Activision. Act of fucking vision. Fuck them. Oh, we made record profits this quarter. And here we're laying off 800 workers. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a real crap show. And the worst part is it's very difficult to kind of just do something about it. Because, yeah, you can boycott it, but... The guy who just wants the next Madden is not going to know or care. They just want the next Madden or they want the next FIFA. What's the like, next roster update? Yeah, like they might, they might like complain a little about, oh, hey, this roster kind of like cost me a lot of money. How come my FIFA bucks aren't working? Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's really difficult to just convince the guy who just buys a sports game every year because he just wants to relax from work to not buy it and to spend the money on something else like Netflix or something because, you know, they're they're not athletic enough to play the actual sport themselves and, you know, they're not going to just there's not going to be a sports game on every day. Like even LeBron James needs to rest every once in a while. So there, there can't be constant sports every day. So, you know, you're telling me, (laughs) you're telling me that you're telling me that, 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 that people waste just as much time watching sports games as they would complain about somebody who plays video games. What? Oh yeah. Well, no, no. Sports are are more reputable to watch that 
all day versus playing video games <laughs> because reasons. No, no, no. Actually, it's watching people play video games. That's not as <laughs> that's not as reputable. <laughs> Says the Twitch streamer. Yeah. Oh God. Oh yeah. I remember that. I remember that freaking controversy with Ninja like complaining about the sports ball. <laughs> why don't they just kick it good? I don't know. Why don't you shoot the Fortnite gun? <laughs> why don't you shoot? Why don't you shoot your gun better, Ninja? Why don't you like shoot it? Why don't you shoot more accurately? I watched the sports. Oh look, he kicked a a strike. <laughs> No, it's a field goal. Like I think he was complaining about like field goal kickers. Oh yeah, I I I'll admit that I was used I used to be like that too until I tried football in high school. <laughs> you know, I became friends with a kicker, and you know, he kind of explained to me how it actually works, and it's actually fucking hard to kick a football, even like twenty yards and stuff like that, because. One, you got to kick it right so it doesn't freaking spin and wobble all over the place. Exactly. And two, you got to factor in the wind and the weather. So that's a whole nother thing. Plus, if you're in an actual game, you have to factor in the motherfucker who's trying to block your kick. So that's a whole nother thing that you got to deal with. Or the crowd that's trying to miss, that's trying to throw off the count so you can miss the snap. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, kicking, like, you know, most other jobs is obviously a job. Even art, obviously, is a job, even though nobody wants to pay for it. (laughs) But it is a harder job than people think. It's not simply just painting pretty colors and dreaming about destiny and all the forces of the universe. It's (laughs) figuring out... You're... When you're an artist... You have to study history. You have to study visual physics, like visual light and stuff like that. Like you have to, you kind of have to know practically everything to be able to draw it because it actually takes a surprising amount of discipline to get really good with drawing. Because essentially, you're probably like, especially if you're making comics and stuff like that, you're your own fashion designer. <laughs> you're your own like you're you're, <laughs> you're your own historian you're your own <laughs> you're your own like scientist and physicist because you have to study visual light that's a physics thing you're your own photographer because photography is also a whole different discipline like you have to be able to study light and exposure and things like that You'll probably have to be your own florist if you're drawing landscapes and making them up as you go. You'll probably have to do a little bit of architecture. And if you're making a comic about certain subjects, you probably will need to do the basic research and just how to do certain subjects, like especially guns. People are anal retentive about movies and comics that just have really bad gun play and trigger discipline and stuff like that you know the Guns funny and thing swords of, and all that stuff yeah the funny thing about it is when you was listing that shit while i'm going through my head thinking like wait a minute i hate to learn this shit i hate to learn that shit yeah I like, right and i'm like 
and the funniest thing about it, like I like I, it's a video on my YouTube channel where I literally go in and I try to um, somebody do a commission, and I was one of those people that you know this was actually recent. I didn't require a down payment for a commission, so I did the work before I actually did it. I did a line. I was like, hey, how is this? I got to go ahead to go. When it came to payment, oh, this doesn't look right. I don't like this style. <laughs> Wait, what? I the, the style that I have out here, literally, this this is the style that you saw my sample drawings were. Yeah, but I don't like the cartoony style. Excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> and so, uh... and so. Like I was like I actually still have the picture. So a couple weeks go by. Well, I talked to my painter, and um, they said that um, they can use that to do the painting. Cool beans. But before they do that, could you fix the nose? No, nah, pay me for pay pay me half of the cost. What? But you know what? Now that I look at it, the eyes are off. Yeah. Uh huh. You thought you was gonna get a free picture? Nah, that that's not how we play. Oh yeah. And man, like people, I people value art but don't want to spend money for it. Oh yeah. It's like the video game things. Why don't they just do it for the love of the art? Because love of the art can't pay a fucking bill. Yes. Passion does not pay my bills, my dude. <laughs> so you need to pay me because I'm out of money and I need to pay rent and my landlord will break my knees. Well, I don't have a landlord. I love my parents, whatever. But yeah, like as much, like I think the perception is the perception that arts are just kids making pretty pictures is I think that's also another thing that's probably kind of, I don't know if I could say ruining the art world, but kind of just messing it up for more artists is that you have a lot of these teenagers who are doing commissions for pennies. Right. Because, well, even 20 bucks is a lot of money for a teenager with no money or house or kids or bills to pay Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Like they don't have any expenses. But if an adult wanted to pretty much take commissions and things like that, they would have to significantly lower their prices and double their work and right. to double their workload because people are used to the cheaper prices from you know those teenagers and stuff like that because they don't know the proper, you know, they don't know the proper rates of that stuff. Then you combine that with international artists who have the cheaper cost of living out there. And since the US dollar is worth a lot more compared to their like, you know, I guess like say, uh, you know, Mexico and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. like the Mexican peso and things like that, since it fluctuates so much, I don't know if it still fluctuates, but you know, the US dollar is worth way more than the peso. And so, you know, a Mexican artist will get way more money, even though it's less money in the U.S. It's like way more money in Mexico. So, I mean, like, I'm I'm gonna be honest with you. If I had like my ultimate dream, 
I would destroy the market for artists. And the reason why I say that, because my ultimate dream is to have people be more expressive and bring their creation to the forefront where mm. it art is valuable. I'm not going to lie, but I want people to stop seeing art as this ivory tower. But then in my perfect world, we would have socialism where you would have basic needs as a right. So I don't know if yeah. that's like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you want to like have that uh, UBI and stuff like that. Well, not even a UBI. Like, oh, we really? all know humans need housing. We all know humans need food. Yes. Why do we live in a world where we have enough food and housing to house and feed everyone, mm. but half the world is starving and homeless? Oh, yeah. That's a big thing. So, like, yeah, like, um, my realistic goal is I actually want to do a kind of an art league um, where I would actually, if I if somebody gave me like a windfall of three to t- uh, three to ten million dollars, I would literally buy a studio where I would allow for people to come in, not even rent it, but like a community studio. It was like, hey, you need to work on art. This is your studio. You just bring your own supplies. Well, it's not like it doesn't exist. Like, uh, there's a, what's it, Water Street Studio out in uh, Chicago. Wait, no. Well, yes. No, it's a Pal and Chisel out in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And they kind of just do that. They have, like, their own uh, figure drawing sessions. Plus, they have gallery shows and things like that. So, they sort of do that in a way. Like, they're a uh, person there. He kind of does that for, you know, know his stuff and uh i know about a war street studios but i think that's more of a gallery than an actual art collection art league stuff like that but you know it it does exist so it's not impossible to do right right um another just a matter of just i'd say either a getting the pet patrons and stuff well not just patrons but just getting people to you know, fund it because obviously we're not going to have that socialist system for a long while. So <laughs> we kind of have to bear with it because outside of violent radical revolution, <laughs> which we are very close to if we, people aren't careful. But anyway, that's a different story. Yeah. Um, but you know what? One of my one of my fun goals that I really want to accomplish. So, remember how you were saying that, you know, when you went to the Chicago Comic Con Revolution? How much did you pay for the table fee? It was supposed to be like $200, right? Yeah. All and right. me and my friends split it in half. Yeah, I spent the whole $200. Or, you know how the, they have these big cons where you basically, as an artist, pay to oh, yeah. present? How about this? How about having a co-op? Con, instead of you actually paying this congl- this this group of people, like instead of having this one person getting paid for you as an artist to be able to have the permission to sell your arts at this con, a co-op of artists get together and says, "Hey, we're renting out this hotel hall, this hotel room hall, and the people that come and visit don't come in and pay for admission." They just come in and buy your art. Oh, yeah. You know, there have been a few things like that. 
that's actually how uh, the old zine culture functioned, actually. Like, uh, actually, the super early comic conventions worked like that, I believe. Because obviously it was just a collection of nerds, like, renting out a hotel room. Right. And just, you know, sharing comics, talk about comics, all that jazz. And so... But it became corporatized. Yeah, because, you know, things don't just stay obscure in non-mainstream. Like, that's how punk... Oh, punk's not dead. <laughs> yes. Punk will never die. It's yes. incapable of dying. It's not dead yet, but we're going to do a great job of trying to kill it. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, like, like, if people still have that sense of personal charity and Community. the will to kind of just do it themselves, like this weird individualism is a bit strong to say, but kind of like the personal drive to go away from themselves and, you know, have the will to just pull other people up with them instead of just being all, fuck you, got mine, and just taking your ball and running, you know? I say it like, like this. Like being willing to just give that helping hand. I say it like this. Definitely. As long as there are people out there with the helping hand, it's easy. I say it like this. It's never the whole yeah, That's kind of how I tackle... You never want to do the work of That's actually trying to my do... teaching. You never want to do the work of actually trying to do your work and somebody else's work. The work is actually getting a change in yeah. mindset to believe like, hey, you can actually have selfish intentions and foster a group of people working together. It, it You can be selfish and still want to work together in a group because their success actually helps yours. And I think that's a mindset that we need to tackle with people that want more social change. Not that, oh, your selfish mindset is bad. Like, no, let's use that mindset of you wanting to make yourself excel and tie it to somebody else's excelling too. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, I am, like, whenever people ask me art questions, I usually will almost always answer them because... One, I like it when people ask me my expert opinion. <laughs> and two, I, I've been in that situation where I have no idea what the heck I'm doing and I want to help someone out and get them out of that, you know, situation of confusion by just helping them and, you know, just showing them how I could tackle that problem and, you know, try to teach them to try to nudge them to the right direction and, you know, convince them that, hey, you know, this is how I think, but this may not necessarily be how you think. So I'm going to try and teach you how to access that mindset that you would need to go to hunt for your path, I'd say. It's a it's a weird guru thing that, you know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't want it to be a guru thing, but it's just me trying to you know, it's kind of like uh, teaching a man to fish, you know, like you can show them, you can show them how to draw a thing, but they're never really going to put it to mind until you explain why I'm, to draw a thing. That's wanna, why usually when somebody's asking me 
you know, about like how I would tackle like finding a certain reference. Usually the, my first question is, all right, what's the story? Or, okay, what kind of references have you looked for? Or what's your, what is that? What is the, what is it like? What's the existing thing like? I'm gonna like use, what are you currently influenced by? I want to use a point that if you pick up Bleach again, you would actually recognize. There is a scene where um, um, after Ichigo gets like a more stronger version of his sword, his Zanpato, and he was like, yeah, when I was training with Kisuke, he can only tell me the stances. He can only tell me what to do with fighting with a sword. That's all he can teach me. But who really taught me how to use Zangetsu, which is Tisanpanto's name, is Zangetsu. I can only teach you so much. You have to be that teacher and how you apply it. Mm. And that's the thing. You can o- you can only give some people so much information because if you tell them what to do, how to do it, when to do it, exactly what steps to take, well, then you're not teaching somebody to reach their f- full potential. You're Basically, you're just teaching to them how to like reach your yeah like your making art you're making an rc character basically mm-hmm. when you should be t- teaching them how to think well not how to think but how to solve problems you're like, teaching what, them you, you had a right teaching them how to think not what to think yeah but it has been almost two hours oh my god i didn't realize it was it's been this long um yeah. We're gonna have to do this again. I am. Oh yeah, totally. This was fun. Uh, I am. First, thank you for allowing me to like impose on your stream. Like this, the 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 picture of the queen that you've been working on. It actually, I know you're probably not gonna say this, but it almost looks complete to my eyes. Maybe because of the pullback, mm. but it actually looks wonderful. Um, I'm gonna have to do some of my art streams sometime soon. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, it's yeah. I should uh, yeah. I should probably invest in figuring out how I can like multi-stream or something like that because you know it would probably be, be we'd probably benefit from like figure out a multi-stream system. I don't know how uh, Twitch does its multi-stream system, but I know uh, Picardo can do multi-stream systems if you like pay your service fee. It's kind of it's kind of weird with Picardo, but you know with their service fee they let you do. Together, like simul. Well, I have restream, and they let you simul simul stream. Did I lose you? Uh, I think Ryan's computer crashed. Ah, well, guys, I'm going to be heading off today. Um, I want to thank Ryan for coming on the stream and allowing me on his. Yep, he crashed. <laughs> that was fortuitous. Um, thank everybody who watched today. And you guys, definitely, definitely like, share, subscribe. Hit Ryan's channels in the description on my YouTube channel. And, wow, I have two cameras. Hey, um... 
And thank you guys for watching. You enjoy the rest of your day. Peace.